The Good Problem, formerly known as Do Gooder, is a podcast series unpacking the sticky art of doing good. You'll hear me, Lee Matthews, getting curious about the ethics of doing good, the dangers of doing good, and how to do better at doing good. I've been working in the doing good sector for the last 15 years. In that time, I've set up an NGO in Cambodia, won a whole bunch of awards, burnt out, had two children, learned a lot of lessons, set up a consulting company, co-founded the Rethink Orphanages Network, traveled the world, written a book, and spoken to audiences globally. You can find me at www.leematthews.com. Today's topic and guest is a bit of a divergence from the usual, but this podcast is all about exploring the sticky art of doing good in all of its manifestations. During this crazy pandemic we're living through, there's been a lot of discussion around mental health and well-being, and even more discussion about the disproportionate impact of this pandemic on women, both now and in the future. I've been pondering this, particularly thinking about women who are stuck in their homes with toxic or abusive partners, or women who have taken on the responsibility of educating their children, keeping their house functioning, and at the same time still attempting to work full-time from home or look for work if they've lost their jobs. We're already seeing huge increases in calls to family violence support services, increased suicide rates, and so on. To help me unpack this, I've invited today's guest, Erica Kramer, onto the podcast. Also known as the Queen of Confidence, Erica describes herself as an Oprah-loving, spicy food-eating, bold stand for confidence. She's the self-described Cardi B of the personal development world. After overcoming a life full of trauma, physical and sexual abuse, near-death experiences, loss, massive confidence lacking and some hard life shit, she decided it was time to come out of her pain and change her life dramatically. This took her on a deep path to personal growth, lots of healing and just dealing with her stuff. Erica is now a beaming example of how you can heal your personal story to transform trauma into triumph. Erica's podcast, The Confidence Chronicles, which I highly recommend a listen, is a very raw and real insight into her life as a mother, entrepreneur and confidence coach. It covers a huge range of topics, including self-love, toxic relationships, personal growth, and more. When I first started listening, Erica was recording episodes in her car in between driving her young children around Melbourne. The Confidence Chronicles podcast consistently sits between number five and 10 on the Australian podcast charts for mental health. So if you want some tough love, have a listen. I'm excited to have Erica on. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So I'm going to jump right in here and ask you a question that I ask all my guests. What does the idea of doing good mean to you personally? For me, everything is about authenticity and congruency, energetically, spiritually, mentally, physically, all the lays, being a good human and having the good intention in your heart, because I think intention is everything. Uh, How people perceive what you do is up to them. Uh, Even if you mess shit up, you know, even if you something went wrong, I think if in your heart of hearts and when you're alone at night in your bed by yourself or naked in the shower, you can look at yourself and be like, 
you know what, I'm a good person and I tried to do what I could do and you know that it's clean in you, I feel like your intention is everything. So we mess up, things go wrong, we offend people, we may do wrong unintentionally and I think that for me is very important and knowing that you care for other people, you want to add value, you want to service the world, you want to die and leave this place better than what you found it and that to me is someone who does good. Yeah, absolutely. And do you see doing good as a separate part of how you live your life or is it is it something that you express through your work only or do you see it as integral to who you are as a person? Yeah, I think it's who you are, 100%. And it's not something that you – I think we're all born – as people that are kind and loving and you know we were talking before we started as you know children like they're genuine souls and clean hearts and just really want to have fun and be with all people without seeing color or or material status or anything like that and so I think that it's not something you do it's just who you are and I wasn't always and we'll get into it but I wasn't I didn't always care about people I don't think I had that ability to care for people. And I remember when I first started this business a long time ago, when I started styling, I said to my husband, I actually care about these people. And he's like, yeah, yeah, babe. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I actually care about these people. And he was like, surprised? Like, yeah, of course you do. You're a good person. And I'm like, oh, no, I never used to care about other people, right? And it's like, it's that. It's knowing that you, behind closed doors, no matter when it is, you know, there's a quote, whatever, that says it's, your character is who you are when nobody's looking. It's like, what do you, how are you as a, as a being, as a person? Who are you being? Not so much what you're doing. It's the authenticity of, of how you're living your life. You have had quite an incredible life and I'm pretty keen to unpack that with you and particularly to come back to what you just said about that you didn't always care. You didn't always want to help. Can we kind of Go back to, I guess, when you were younger, you've talked about it a lot in your podcast, but, you know, it's not out there completely in the written word. People might not have listened to your podcast. I'd love to understand what led you to where you are now. Yeah. Okay. Get ready, y'all. Get ready. (laughs) I know. I'm like, oh, it's a big one. So it's a crazy story, but uh, if I can give you a Cliff Notes version uh, of it, basically, I grew up in Framingham, Massachusetts. So born, uh, it's 20 minutes out of Boston, Massachusetts in the USA. And my mom, she really struggled with bipolar disorder. And I think as soon as I was born, she wanted to breastfeed. So she didn't take her medicine. So she could breastfeed me. I mean, beautiful story. Like what a heart that she had to do that. And so straight up from when I came out, you know, I was in the hands of my grandma or someone looking after me or the state because she would have to go into a mental hospital. And this kind of became our life. When I was two years old, my dad left my mom. He was uh, heavily dealing drugs and doing all kinds of not cool stuff and had, I think at that point, he already had three kids and now he has eight kids. Shout out to my dad. We're cool now, but man, that was, you know, he's got a lot of babies and... (laughs) So she was a bipolar woman, probably not medicated how she could have been, not supported how she could have been back then. And having me as a single mother and, you know, I grew up with my mom being uh, more manic than depressed. I think for her and for her mother, because my grandma had it in their younger years, the manic was kind of who they were. 
and then the depressive was who they've been in the in their their older years so that looked like physical abuse yelling screaming you know things that when i say the word crazy as well i don't mean it to offend someone like you're crazy i mean it from a place of just erratic behavior like she would just do crazy things like we're gonna walk for four days or you know just stuff that didn't make any sense but as a kid i didn't know so i grew up in that kind of turbulent in and out of foster homes my mom in 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 mental hospitals and then our house would get broken into twice a year because no one was home and people would just steal our stuff and put blood on our walls and do all this crazy stuff and in the foster care system there was sexual abuse then my mom got a boyfriend there was sexual abuse so that happened throughout my kind of childhood before my teens and then when i was seven years old my mom went with her her boyfriend who was a good guy he wasn't the sexual abuse boyfriend to puerto rico on a holiday and she didn't take enough pills she ended up driving basically unwell i didn't know she was unwell at that time i couldn't tell and we smashed into a tree and hit a ditch and we almost like died and it was crazy and we walked for three days and then my dad found out and he kidnapped me and Whoa. it's just like what the hell all this stuff so i was in puerto rico for like a year it's where i learned spanish and that's why i know spanish now which is amazing yeah and coming back to my mom, it was again back foster care, sexual abuse, trying to find out who I was in high school. We went to, I mean, I changed every, I was in every foster home in my town. Like I went maybe to seven different foster homes. And so there was clearly abandonment issues. Uh, my use of, um, my emotion of choice back then was anger. So I would get angry and, and fight the police arresting my mom and myself. I would, you know, fight kids and, you know, so there was a lot of anger in me as a kid. And that wasn't useful because it ended up me fighting and not doing well in school, as you can imagine. And at 17, I ended up joining the army, which I didn't know subconsciously I wanted to get the hell out of Boston and just not being near my mom, which I didn't know that, right? Like I love my mom and she's incredible, but I ended up moving to California, marrying my high school sweetheart. He went to Iraq. We got married. No one knew. We moved to Florida. And then long story short, I got into a really bad drinking and driving accident where I broke my back and I literally could have been paralyzed. I don't know how I didn't, I didn't have a seatbelt on the things, you know, young people do. And that was like a big turning point where I was like, oh my God, what am I doing in the army? Like, I don't even want to do this. Where are my dreams and my goals and my aspirations? And then the following year, my husband was drinking and driving alone and he passed away. And that was huge. So it was like trauma after trauma after trauma, sexual abuse, abandonment, all this anger. And then the love of my life. I'd never met anybody who died and he died. And that was just like, holy shit, I couldn't deal with that. And how old were you when he I died? was 23, 22, 23. So I married him at 19. And then no one knew. So then when he passed away, his family found out, everybody found out and it was like this big ordeal. You know, I lost him. I lost the family. We're close now. Like we talk here and there, but there was so much weird uh, energy with all of that. Yeah. And then pretending it didn't happen, like trying to use the delete button and be like, I can't deal with this because it's too big. And I remembered my mom telling me when her dad died, she cried a lot and she became bipolar. And so as a little kid, I'm like crying equals bipolar. Don't cry. Don't deal. So I just kind of pretended it didn't happen, which I still drank a lot. I, I was still really in pain, but I was trying not to face the demon. Uh, and I went to, to Las Vegas because I became a hairdresser. And in Las Vegas at a hair conference, I met this guy from Australia. And I ended up going, yeah, cool. I'm going to date this guy and I'm going to go date him. And we're going to, and he's like, come to Australia. And then I moved to Australia and like sold everything for $1,000, my car, everything, and like ran away from my terrible past because it wasn't going to follow me across the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> That thing did. No. And um, 
And here, you know, a series of bad relationships led me to meet my husband, who was my personal trainer. And he was like the most awakened, feminine, gentle, beautiful, masculine, gorgeous human man being that I'd ever met. And he really introduced me to life coaching. And I met a coach who was like a spiritual coach, and I was not spiritual. And that just, that was it. It was like, oh, what? I'm a victim. I'm doing this. I'm what? Oh, my gosh. And I got so excited about it that I ended up now, uh, it's been about two years that I started the Queen of Confidence coaching business, um, and we've invested hundreds and thousands of dollars on ourselves and our, our work, and we're, I'm just so into it because I saw what it could do for my life, and there's no reason why I should be here, how I am, and that I should have this awesome life where I'm helping people, making money, beautiful children, beautiful husband. Like, technically, that wasn't in the cards for my future according to the upbringing and the life that I kind of was living. And so you went through a lot of trauma, obviously, your whole life, all the way up till, you know, not that long ago, you were still experiencing and living that trauma. What clicked? What changed to enable you to go, hey, I don't want to live like this anymore. And then, hey, I want to help other people. The first part of it is I don't want to live like this anymore was when I was left. Uh, so I moved to Australia for this guy that I had met in Vegas uh, and I moved to Sydney or it wasn't really Sydney. It was like Western suburbs of Sydney. And that was a horrible experience. He was a narcissist because I went from like angry Puerto Rican, yo, 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 I'm going to fuck you up girl from Boston to a I'm not good enough. I'm a piece of shit. This guy from another country who looks European and has money and he's so much more educated and amazing and like I'm nothing to that. I went to like an unworthy, broken, damaged goods person. So I I dated this narcissist and it was so crazy because old Erica would have been like, mm, excuse me, I don't think so. You know, I'm Puerto Rican. I don't think so. But like this Erica was like, well, I'm damaged. Something's wrong with me. I have nothing else to give. So let me just pretend to be what you need. We broke up. Uh, I left around Christmas after 11 months in that relationship and then moved to Melbourne for a man that was literally the same guy, different face and a nicer version of him, but still condemning like, you can't tell anybody you don't have a dad. You can't tell my family that you were a model and you have naked, not naked, but bikini photos on Google. You can't like, so everything that was me was bad. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. And so when he broke up with me, I was like, I'm a piece of shit. Like, this is my rock bottom. I was literally like, I'm in another country and I still didn't feel like Australia was home right now to me. This is my home. I love this place. But I just felt like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Who am I? What am I doing? Get your shit together. Like you're a loser, you know, you're however old and people don't want you. And it was like proving the bullshit thought that I kept feeding myself. And I went to the gym and I was, tra I was training with Hamish, who's my husband, but we weren't, I didn't even look at him. Like it was like, I couldn't see him. He was my personal trainer. That was it. And then we became friendly and he really allowed me to open up and share my story. And in the background, him and the coach that he was seeing, who I ended up seeing were literally manifesting a woman like me with dark hair who was Latin and so weird. And then I, I met him and he's like, you have a boyfriend. And then my boyfriend dumped me. And then he's like, okay, I like you. And I just need to tell you that. And then from there, I, I never met a man who was safe, who I could open up with and wasn't going to go, oh, that's gross. You're, you're a hot mess. He was just so loving and welcoming. And I think he was my moment of shift. Like, oh, I'm not broken. This is cool. You're interested in my story. Like, oh, I can use this for good. And then it was 
you know, getting coaching and paying for someone to help me work through my stuff. And of course, she went to the biggest thing, Geo dying, because Geo's death was the biggest thing I'd ever experienced. And so once we did that, it took me maybe eight years of working on myself and being in different programs. I started styling, like helping women with their external confidence. And in through that journey, it was amazing because I had to go that way. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, that was the wrong way for you, clearly, because you're meant to do this. And I'm like, well, it was the wrong way, but it was the right way because sometimes you have to go the wrong way to see this. So I did that and I loved it. I just realized that clothing and makeup and nails and all that shit that we think is important don't matter if you still look in the mirror and think you're a piece of shit. It's like the inner inner confidence. And that's kind of how this journey had started. You are you know, a very powerful voice around confidence. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about how, just how popular your podcast is. But why do you think it's so important for women to hear a story like yours and to to witness your evolution and your growth? What, what do they need from that and why do they need it? Well, I guess for a long time, I didn't want to share my story. And I didn't, I was really trying to get get it right, you know, air quotes and be, be pretty and perfect and do and say what they wanted to hear. And it wasn't until I got this intuition in the shower when my second son was born of like, what does the queen of confidence do? She doesn't talk about cotton and horizontal stripes. That's for fucking sure. She doesn't tell women they're apples and pears. And I never did anyway. I wasn't that kind of stylist. I didn't like boxing women in, but it was like, she talks about confidence. It was like this thing that was like, have you shared your story and how you've become this thing? And so for me, it wasn't really, it was more from a, not shame, but from a place of nobody wants to hear that. Don't try to be special. You know, you don't have to tell us your sad, sad, sappy stories, like just talk about what we want. And so I never ha felt like I had permission to share my personal story. And so when I did finally realize that, that I could, I kind of felt like it was almost like my initiation. Like you don't get to tell me to be more confident and stand in my power and own who I am when you've had the perfect, most amazing life. Because I get on stage and I'm the queen of confidence. Like I'm the queen or something. And she's my alter ego. I'm not even her. I think all of us are her. We're trying to channel that inner goddess that we are, right? And goddess didn't really resonate. So I'm like queen. But it's like, I kind of feel like it's my initiation. And if I don't share that with you, who the hell am I to tell you? And most people think you wear hot pink, red lipstick. Oh, you got Instagram followers. Okay, tell me to be confident, easy for you. You don't understand us. And so I'm like, oh no, <laughs> let me tell you. Like I feel, and I still feel this, that every time something air quotes bad happens to me or to you or to any human being, if we're brave enough to share it, we then can connect to that person or those group of people. So foster kids, boom, you know, sexual abuse survivors. Yeah, whatever. Like we had a miscarriage and I connected to women who had a miscarriage. I never had experienced that. So I think that it does so much good when you're willing to share your real messy, dirty stuff because you give people visibility and they see you, they feel like they can trust you and they open up because you did. You talk about, you know, sharing that story as a way to connect and in the, in the development world, and I work in, um, child protection, international child protection a lot, and we work around foster care and orphanages and things like that. And one of the things we often struggle with is actually getting the voices of those children heard. So instead of me sitting here behind my podcast microphone talking about those stories, how do we get their stories out and how much more powerful 
is it when those voices are actually heard and shared? I love that. And I've always wanted to go back home for that. Like, I don't want to live in America. No offense. I love America, but I don't want to live there. Yeah. But I've always, I said to my husband, like, I've always wanted to do work with foster kids or speak to women or children in rehabilitation. Um, and I myself don't know. Uh, and I don't probably have the resources to get a team to start researching. But like, I would love like nothing more because it's so important that when you have any trauma, whether that is your parents divorcing or you're made fun of because of your acne or your weight. It doesn't have to be you were kidnapped and sexually abused. That's full on. My story is a bit, you know, it's not everybody's story and it doesn't, you don't need to shame your story. But like, I feel like when you've went through a trauma like that, it affects you so much as you're, as an adult that how good would it be if you could give visibility to children and share and get them to speak and to, like, I just, I still want to do that. And I, that's why I think I want to get to my business, to the platform. Like Oprah says, you know, I want to use my platform to get with more people. Not that I want to be famous and be Oprah. It's like the more famous and Oprah I become, the more I can make money to give to foundations and reach more people. So that's like the big dream. Like, yeah, that'd be amazing. And totally possible and doable. And, you know, you have such a, a diverse and extreme range of experiences (laughs) that you can connect to such a big audience. And I think that's really important in, you know, a lot's happened to you and it may be much more than other people have experienced, but actually to see somebody who has gone through something that some people would say is extreme and be where you are now is incredibly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're in the middle of a pandemic and women are possibly stuck in really awful situations at home right now. They're possibly with toxic partners or abusive partners. They are holding the mental and physical load of households and educating children and, you know, worrying about whether they're going to have a house or a job or trying to juggle a job. I've been thinking a lot about what this means for women now and what it will mean in the future. What, what are the impacts of this in the future? And kind of wondering how you are approaching that and how you are trying to get those messages in at a really difficult time when people are actually experiencing acute trauma through this pandemic right now. A million percent it's trauma, you know, and it's I have a, a group of women who I coach uh, in the sisterhood and the sisterhood's like a global program where it's a life coaching year long program. And uh, as soon as this happened, I said to Nikki, who's our operations manager, and she is homeschooling. I said to you, four kids whilst answering emails, whilst, you know, working for me and helping us with launches and all the things we're doing. And it's, you know, what the number one thing that I said, and it makes me like get emotional because I think it's so important that, you know, I think it's so important that if you can do something that you do something like this. So I said to Nikki, what I want is for every single woman who's in our program to know that if they're struggling, we are there to help them. I want them to know that if they need to freeze payments, pause payments, get money, if they need money, like what can we do? What can we do? And I don't talk shit. I just like start doing things. I hope that we were one of the businesses that said, hey, if you're struggling, Lee, and we can do anything, like pause your payments. Like we went out and told our clients that and did a post about it and, and connected with them about it. And you know, we got like nine women out of 250 women, which is nothing because obviously I have to pay my bills and things. And so it's so 
it's who you are, right? Like who, what kind of person are you? What kind of business is this? What is your message really about? If it's about empowering women and you got like sweatshop people making your sisterhood t-shirts, Erica, that's bullshit, right? So, you know, we're really congruent with everything. And so we raised like two and a half thousand dollars that people from our group and outsiders donated that we were able to give to mothers and families that are going through these things. Because the reality is what I've seen in my in my program, and we have women in 13 countries. So this is kind of our scope around the world is that a lot of the mothers are feeling like they're back in their postnatal depression time. You know, they've got teenagers at home and they're feeling like they're newborns and they're alone and the husbands are at work or they're single mothers like you're like, hello. And it's like triggering all these old feelings that it's not the same. It's just familiar. You know what I mean? And so for us, I'm like, shit, what can what can we do is always my question. What can I do? I know what I can't do. I can't have live events. Cool. I'm interested in what can we do? So we've decided every week to have our coaching calls that we have twice a month every week. So every week we get all these people together and we're and, and hearing women. I've really been researching confidence because it's not just me going through my program. It's 200 plus women over two years in these 13 countries telling us. The, the family triggering things, the news, the media, some of these women that are in terrible relationships or in a home with really dysfunctional roommates because financially that's all they can afford. And really it's my women in America that are struggling the most, if I'm real, you know? Uh, we're blessed in this country of Australia where job keeper, job seeker, like we got all the, even our fires. How much money did we raise because of the fires? And Americans are still going, are you guys okay because of the fires? And I'm like, um, yeah, like we, we raise money here. We have money in this country. So what's been really hard is seeing women struggle and what's been beautiful about that as well, because I believe that everything needs to happen is that they're able to see, holy shit, I don't want to work here. I don't want to live here. I don't want to be married to that person. Wow, I need to work on my stuff. Holy crap, I'm depressed. Wow, I'm drinking a lot of alcohol lately. I think it's great that that stuff is popping up because now we, we can't hide from it. And so I honestly, I'm not saying this for any reason, but I honestly don't think it's been a better time for this work that I do. Like this is the time for the work that I do. So I'm happy that we were so active as opposed to going, oh, coronavirus sucks. We can't have live events and just waited for this to be over. Like if you didn't do something as a business personal development service provider in this time, like fuck you wasted time because this has been the best time to serve like this time. Have you seen an increase in people reaching out or engaging 100%. with you through this time? Yeah. 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 And and because we we wanted to not let financials obviously i don't believe in giving things away for free when it comes to personal development because if i was able to find a credit card on a credit card on a credit card to work on my past yeah we just said what can we do can we extend a payment plan can we do it? and we did that and we got 45 new women during covid i've never got 45 new women in a month and a half span ever like 10 10 to 12 a month usually we got 45 new women in that time frame because of our payment plan offering and they have been the most incredible women because as soon as they came in I mean imagine joining a personal development coaching program during a pandemic you're ready to rock and roll you're not there messing around you're like shit I need to work on this and all, most all of them are mothers yeah so I want to share something with you I I told my best friend that I was interviewing you and she listens to your podcast and she's been to one of your events and oh, shout out to her. Yeah. <laughs> well, she asked me to share the following with you. She said, when I was going through a divorce, Erica's podcast brought me out of it. It was the one thing that I listened to that called a spade a spade that called me out on my shit. 
She told me that I was in control, that only I could take responsibility for getting out of that shitty place I was in. When you're fucked up in the gutter, Erica has the ability to pull you out. And at that time, just getting up and going for a walk felt impossible. I was in victim land and she made me realize that. Hmm. Thank you. That's amazing. (laughs) So emotional all the time. Yeah, that makes me really, really happy. And what you're doing, like your free podcast, even just the stuff that I've learned listening to you, I didn't know that that was happening. And so when I say you can do anything, like anything that you can do to if you want to change the world, you can do it like for free, like it could be a free podcast or a a video. And then also to the consumer of it, if you if you want to work on yourself, you can go on YouTube if you find the right videos. Can listen to this podcast or any podcast, and 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 that's I think the the beauty of she was clearly ready and she wanted so badly. And these are the women that have just joined. They're like, oh, I'm in enough pain where I'm ready to do something about it. And it's hard because when people aren't ready, it doesn't matter who tells them. Oprah, you know, Mother Teresa could come and tell them, and they won't do it not because of the information, but. I guess their readiness to like take action, you know? Absolutely. And you know what else she said? She said, actually, I was looking for something to help me at that time. And I tried Oprah and I tried Brene Brown. It wasn't enough. I needed someone to call me out in a loving, but also this is your shit and you have to deal with it kind of way. Oh, thank you. Yep. So that's a good one. Better than Oprah and Brene. <laughs> Tell me what. I'm like, can, can you email that to me, please? I, I can put it on my notes. <laughs> um, so y- your podcast has had exponential growth in popularity. You've got around half a million podcast downloads in less than two years. It's probably much more now. You're obviously resonating really deeply with women all around the world. What has this been like for you personally? So I never knew it was doing that until beautiful Brianna from Bambi Media, who we love, yes. uh, sent me a message because she was looking after Angel, Angel Phoenix, our, another mutual friend of ours. Uh, she was looking after her podcast and she just said, oh, you're number six in Australia. And, you know, and I honestly, Leigh, I didn't, I didn't know. I was in such a fog of motherhood and mm-hmm. scarcity when we started this business, like whew, makes me get emotional. Like, like we literally couldn't buy bread, right? At the time. And it was like $4.50 for a low of Baker's Delight bread. And for me, it wasn't like I hadn't lived hard stuff like I was from the States. So I had, that wasn't the big deal. For me, it was like, I'm here now, like at this stage in my life when I just made 90 grand working for L'Oreal and like my husband owns a gym and now we have a second baby and I'm here now. It was like that. It was like, this is ridiculous. And so I used kind of the podcast as a as a outlet to express and literally what your friend said. That's what I when I, I'm writing my book right now. And what I said to the lady who's helping me is like, I want to be someone's big sister that they never had to be like, fucking go for it. Like, what are you doing doubting yourself? Do you know that you're a miracle? Like, stop, like go for the thing you want to go for. Stop doubting yourself. Like loving bitch slap, big sister, push hype woman. Like that's in a nutshell what I want to be for women. And so when when I had the opportunity to do the podcast, I was like, I don't care if I'm in my car and I got the e-tag going off and my hoops are hitting. I did it with these <laughs> Apple headphones forever until I got a fancy mic. You know, it was so I didn't know it was doing well. And then when Brianna told me that, I went and looked and went, oh, shit. If I'm honest, I was like, oh, I got to take this seriously now. Oh, people are listening to this. OK, cool. And, and by taking it serious, we just got some cool music and Brianna to kind of help me do it. I still do it in my car when I'm not doing an interview. And for me, it's it makes me so happy that 
people are resonating because one of the things that I aim to do in my podcast is not to be smart because I don't see myself as an intelligent intellect. I didn't go to college. I barely graduated school. Uh, and I love big concepts from people that are like Wayne Dyer and Joe Dispenza and Eckhart Tolle and all these smart people that have big concepts. And I like to break it down into like, yo, 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 motherfucker English. Like that's what I call it, right? It's like, can I say this to somebody on the street and do they understand me? And if if they don't, how do I explain it so they do? So that's, I think, why, and I like comedy. I'm a little bit like of a confidence comedy person. So I think that that's why, and they're short, and I think that that's why it's resonating. And I will say things that I know that most people won't say to people out of love, not to be an asshole, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast tries to kind of look at both sides of doing good. So the light side, the feel good, the good intentions and good outcomes. But we also like to look at the darker side of doing good. And in particular, kind of those lessons that we learn in the process of trying to live out or make our good intentions happen. And I'm curious to understand how that's been for you and whether you've kind of gone into this or, or had any experiences where you've had the best of intentions to help somebody or to help a group of people or do something and you've kind of it's backfired and you've looked back and gone oh what what went wrong there yeah definitely my first I can recall my first version of this the first event uh, I had a styling event because it was I had styling events before and I got my first coach to help me create the event even though I had already run it my way I felt this massive comparison like because I wanted to be a coach but I was a stylist and so I was trying to make a styling event light-hearted champagne into a coaching deep subconscious like coaching session and so she literally helped me write the whole event and redo it and I felt so terrible because I wasn't getting the result that I thought I wanted that she was getting in her events from my women at my event and at the end of it Everybody, I think, had a good time, but I know that I didn't give my best to those women. I was trying to be someone else and comparing myself to someone else. And that was the first and last time publicly I felt like it was the worst failure and it was the most uh, misrepresentation of what I wanted to offer my clients. And then next, I said the word retard on an Instagram story, which was nowhere near what it sounded like. Like I was it was horrible. And I had someone say to me, really, it's the 20th century, whatever, you use that word. And I straight up sent her a video and was like, you are right. I didn't even know I said that, which is the problem. And I'm so sorry. You know, videoing in my car when I'm driving and people having something to say about it. And they get to say something about it. And I also get to do what I want to do as well. So like really understanding instead of going, why are they attacking me? Going, where could they be right? And that's hard. Like that's been my biggest lesson is and I want to tell all my friends this, but they're not down to listen because sometimes people are right. Like maybe you should check your kid's child seat. It's twisted, you know, in a nice Instagram video you're doing. And lastly, recently pandemic wise, I shared something uh, about a lady in Sydney who was protesting who got her kid taken away recently. And I, I shared it on Instagram because someone sent it to me because I like to speak my voice and share things. Not that I agree with everything, but I like to share it. And I didn't have the video. So I, on Facebook, I found the video and reshared it without looking at comments or anything like that. And someone in the in the video I shared had said, once you put on a uniform, you're no longer human to the police officer. And I didn't see that. And then I got one of my clients who I love dearly, who her partner, she's a cop, her partner is a cop. And she was really offended and upset 
So I apologized, did what I needed to do. And what I realized from that was being conscious, especially in the controversial conspiracy theory thing of pandemic, pandemic, whatever side you believe, it doesn't matter. Being responsible with what you share, being kind, but also, and very important, if you want to share it, fucking share it and not worrying about, you know, for me, my, my genuine thing is if you know me and you follow me and you know where my heart is, because I've shown you many times where my heart is, you still want to be offended. You have the opportunity to unfollow and go. I don't need to people please you back into loving me because I'm sure that the offense is not only something I said, but a deep seated offense from something else that has been waiting to be popped, you know, and so be responsible. But yeah, that that's really, and I love when that happens because I go, oh shit, I'm so sorry. Like I take every opportunity I can to bring it back. If I can share one more, I'm yeah, so sorry, no, real no, quick. Because no, this is a very big responsibility. When I first launched the Global Sisterhood, I had someone join my program who I didn't know at the time probably shouldn't have joined the program because I'm not, this is not a medical advice program. It's a life coaching program, personal development. Uh, and since everything I write says what it is. And so she joined and I think she wasn't stable enough to be faced with her thoughts and the things from the past. And I had to be like, oh shit, is this program irresponsible? Like, is this too much? And I actually polled my audience, my women, and they're like, no, this is, it's perfect. This is great. Blah, blah. So it was one person out of, I think I had 50 at the time. And so I took the opportunity to obviously discuss, let that person go and do what they needed to do, but also check in with where I could be responsible, more responsible. Um, was I being responsible enough? Uh, and then knowing that people will come I can imagine to Tony Robbins events that probably need more than Tony Robbins. They probably need to go see a doctor or something. And that's their dharma as well. It's weird. Yeah. It's interesting because I think, you know, having a public profile and, and running personal development uh, courses and programs and events, obviously, you know, you are going to attract people that have a really, really diverse range of needs uh, and backgrounds. And I think, you know, it, it raises some good questions around where is the responsibility when you've got people that might be experiencing significant mental health issues? How do you manage that in, a, in an ethical and responsible way? And I think I'm so blessed too, because that was my online program. But a lot of my clients say, what if you get someone weird come to your event? Or what if someone who's not supposed to be here joins the Melbourne program that I have in person where we usually have six events a year? And I promise you, Lee, I'm just like, I'm not looking for her. I'm not looking for that to happen. And I don't mean to sound like woo woo or whatever, but I genuinely, I feel this for every human. If you can go to sleep and you're clean and you're continuously trying to be a better version of yourself and you're apologizing when you're wrong and you're being better than you were the day before and you're actively trying to work on your gaps and the areas where you know yourself, it's not where it needs to be. You could never attract the wrong person because it's a co-creation. If they did come in and that was wrong and I met them, how did we both co-create that event? Because we needed to meet each other or we needed to both encounter that situation for the growth of both of us. And so I could tell you hand on heart, like I haven't had anybody in my in-person programs or any of my events or retreats that shouldn't have been there. I feel like it's hard because the coaching industry has a lot of people who I don't believe 
are doing it authentically and integrity-wise, and then you're you're hearing about, it's like home birth, you hear about the horrible things that happen, but there's so many great home births, and it's not dangerous and, and crazy, but then when something happens, it's like, oh, that should be banned. So similar to coaching, you know? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I think you just have to really know yourself and, uh, and know when you're not, and I feel like these people do. I feel like the people that aren't doing good things can't at night be like I'm amazing hopefully hopefully they you know I think it's you know I think it's hard to um to wade through all that noise sometimes you know I had a I had home birth with my children and well the first one was a planned home birth that didn't end up being a home birth home birth and the second one was a a 59 minute home birth (laughs) wow um but, you know, it was at a time when there was a lot of controversy about around home birth. There were some court cases going on. There were some deaths, you know, all sorts of things were happening. And I think, you know, there's a climate of fear and you have to wade through a lot of information. And I think, you know, potentially in this personal development industry as well, there's a lot of information and a lot of misinformation. Yeah. And... Yeah people, you know, often will come to, to that industry at a really low point in their lives or at a a point of desperation rather than empowerment. And, you know, I think that's where it gets a bit dangerous and that's where people that are not being authentic can prey on those people. A hundred percent. And then you have like an LP. My husband and I were in a cult for like two years and he was like, I know we didn't know until we knew it was a cult. Um, And it was really dangerous because I thought I was a really witty American street smart girl that was going to be able to tell if somebody had taken me, you know, for you know, a ride in a cult kind of situation. And I didn't know. And um, we found out later that NLP, like anchoring and bad, like negative black magic NLP, whatever you want to call it, was being used. And so it's really dangerous. And I think if you're listening out there and you're like, oh, no, how do I know who to go with and what to what to actually do or who to work with? I think like anything, you have to feel someone and interview someone and ask them questions like you would your kid's school teacher or you know this sounds stupid but the person is waxing your vagina like I need to know everything about you and where how long have you been doing this or my hairdresser if I don't have a connection with my hairdresser my photographer the video guy how are we going to make magic and so I really think that if you can feel people out and you can look them up and do your due diligence and then have a conversation and just vibe them. And that's why I love video and webinars because I don't want anybody who doesn't vibe with me because then it's hard work um, and it's trickery. You know, we should really be investigating the people who we're following and are the people that you're paying money to getting the results in the area that you paid them for. And if they're not, you need to run, you know? Right. Right. That's a good point. I'm also interested in the pushback that you might have received. So the other side of it, because, you know, social media can be a huge catalyst for personal growth and self-development and and also for pushing social movements out there. But it's also full of trolls and nastiness and negativity. Have you experienced that side of it? Not really, like at all, which is crazy because I know um, I swear a lot. Um, I don't do it to try to be cool. I I think for me, it breaks up the professionalism and the full onness about a woman who looks nice and wears makeup and high heels at an event. That could be really full on. And so I like to talk about poo and tell jokes and 
talk about vaginas and like I want to break the ice because that's me, you know. And so uh, I haven't had many of the things, but there's been someone, a man here and there that said a weird comment and I literally just delete it. And there's been people who don't agree with me on certain things, on quotes that I do because they don't understand the context. And so when I feel like they're genuinely looking to understand, I will explain myself more because I want to have conversations where people don't agree. But I have this thing and I don't know where it came from. I actually don't know. Maybe I heard it somewhere, but I I have this thing that's like if you are putting yourself out there, your podcast out there, your book out there, yourself out there in the world, then you are signing this this you know uh, invisible dotted line of saying, hey, I am going to be open to feedback of others. You can't say you're a public whatever, uh, Lady Gaga, and then be surprised that people have things to say about the meat bag thing you wear or who you're dating. Like, and it surprises me when celebrities act so shocked and so oh my God, I can't believe this. Cause I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you signed up for it. Like, it's almost like you have to know. So I have this theory. I just say like, I look forward to the critics. I look forward, not that I'm, I'm looking for them, but I just, I'm looking forward to it happening because it will happen. And if I know that it's going to happen, I'm not going to be surprised and I get to decide what I want to do. So I will never fight with someone behind a keyboard. I don't even it's like when people say women are catty. I don't believe that. I never see catty women. I never see trolls. So I can't believe that the internet's full of trolls. I hear about it, but it's not a part of my reality. For whatever reason, I don't I don't know. It's That's amazing. I know. I'm really grateful. Yeah. So please don't come to my Instagram or anywhere, please. <laughs> I want to loop back to something you said earlier where you were talking about a realization that you had that you cared about the people that you were working with. And it, it kind of ties into the next question I have, which was how how has your concept of doing good evolved over the years? Okay, so when I was growing up, I was angry. I think I told you. So I, I in middle school, would try to beat people up. And I'm not racist, but at the time, I think I had a thing for white girls. Like, I think I was jealous of white people, and I thought that white people had money and white people had a great life growing up where I grew up. So I would purposefully try to bump into white girls. Never black girls, never African-American girls, uh, Spanish girls sometimes, but more the white girls. And it was this, if I look at my younger self, it was this lack of not feeling good enough, rich enough, privileged enough, smart enough in school, good grades, living in a big house, having a dad, this angry kid. So she lived on until high school. And then I literally made friends with everyone. And then high school is where everybody wanted to beat me up, which is weird because I was a nice kid in high school. It's probably all the shit I did from six to nine, uh, years six to nine. And so I didn't care about people because I didn't have the capacity to care about myself. I was angry. I still carried until this day when my four-year-old triggers anything it's the emotion of anger which I will forever work on that's my emotion that's my one anger oh man and so I think that when I realized that I was being a victim and not a victim like sexual abuse victim that is true victim when I was living as a as she said victim land like choosing to go little me like that's not fair people do this to me when I was living like that like as a victim of my circumstances I realized that through my coaching and all the mentors I had. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I started, as you do, when you start waking up to what you're doing and becoming aware of what you're doing and then choosing when you have the, the awareness, you can choose another thing. And then I started choosing the other things. And then I started seeing how I was kind of like not in control, but I was calling the shots and I was creating what I was believing, my reality, my projection, all that. And then I started getting excited about it and wanting to share it with people. And that's when it clicked for me that 
I saw those people like me, like they weren't me, but I saw them like me in pain or in trauma or whatever. And then I, I genuinely started caring, but it happened without me knowing. So then when I would be home, like thinking about strangers, you know, that women that were going through what I was going through and wanting to create content for them or meeting someone at a, a styling workshop and going home and like crying because I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't see how beautiful she is. She was amazing. What a beautiful woman. My husband being like, yeah, that's how it is. And I'm just like, I can't believe I care. So because he thought I was a nice person. And I'm like, I was a nice person, but I didn't give a shit about anyone else because I was too busy wrapped up in my own victim land. And in victim land, you can't care about anyone else because it's all about you. Yeah. So what was the second part of it? I think you've answered it, actually. How has your concept <laughs> of doing good evolved over the years? And I, I think you've answered it, particularly talking about trauma. And unless we process our own trauma, we can't help others and we can't be of service or be good, truly good towards others. And I think sometimes the best thing I do is not rescue you know, where I thought I had to save everyone and tell everyone about the book and the thing and everyone needed to do it. And it's like, I caught myself and it was a podcast idea that I had a long time ago, like, am I addicted to rescuing? Like, do I want to save everyone? And sometimes the best thing I do is not give them the answer. Or, you know, on a hot seat call, say, I think it's bullshit. I think you're bullshitting yourself. And then I go, see you next week, instead of going, here's how to fix it. Like, and it's, it's horrible. But I'm like, Sometimes the best thing, the good you can do is not doing something for someone and letting them realize, as, as in, in my field of work, you know, like letting them realize their own lesson. Because you can, like our kids, we can't take away their pain. They need to fall down the stairs, cut their leg and go, shit, mom, you were right. It's like, yeah, cool. You feel it now? Amazing. They will learn that. So being addicted to rescuing was something that I really struggled with in the beginning and why people weren't getting those results. And just during COVID, uh, allowing myself to look at another project that I wanted to do meant was I turning my back for my women? It's like, no. And I had to like ask myself these questions and being like, what does that mean? It means they're still there, I'm there, but I'm also gonna bring my attention and energy here for a greater impact while still loving them up and doing this. And it was like, like so I'm constantly like, am I doing the right thing here by people, you know? Yeah, yeah, interesting. So can you think of somebody who's influenced you over your life in doing good? Somebody that you've kind of, looked to repeatedly over the years as as an influence so this sounds really corny because it's my husband but I, I I it's not because he's my husband I've never met someone like like him and the way he grew up and who he is and how he he's so politically correct he's he doesn't take a side and he believes a lot of things that most people don't believe but he's always wanting to know what the opposing like he's interested he will actively seek out what someone else thinks about it and is interested in listening and understanding that person he doesn't get angry at all he doesn't have that emotion and so i think it's interesting to see him you know as a man and being very feminine, as in his energy is feminine, where he's gentle and nurturing and loving, especially when I didn't have a, a male figure in my life. And I myself would say is I'm a very masculine, do action, go, 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 action taking woman. And he's more the soft nature walking, gentle talker to the kids. I obviously discipline the kids. He doesn't, you know, like, so I would say Hamish because he will never push me but he's always there. And then when I'm finally ready, he's like, oh, you want to know? Oh, here you go. He's not like, I've been trying to tell you. And he just, he, he, he's like the Gandhi, like be the change. And then 
how do you know? Just be it. People can see you being the change. So I feel like he's always being the change. And then when I'm finally ready to come off my bullshit high horse or my egotistical whatever thing rant I had in back in the days, he was always there. Like, oh, okay, you're ready? And like love, like pure love and, and no holding back. And I think I have really been able to learn from him and take from him and now when we do work together he becomes me like he kind of took a bit of my fire because he was very soft and gentle and now he's like hold on a minute that's not okay so we've really taken from each other in our work and I feel like I can listen because of him I feel like I'm calmer I don't yell and get angry like my anger is really diminished uh, and even when I tap into it I feel Ooh, like it's too much and I'm like oh it's like the dark force you know like Star Wars <laughs> not corny at all I think a lot of my guests will refer to their partner or even a parent as that long-term influence in doing good so my next question to you is is something that I also ask everybody and it's a bit of a philosophical question what do you think the greatest social challenge of our time is and when I ask you that, I mean something that future generations, maybe three or four generations in the future, would look back on and wonder what on earth we as a society were thinking. Oh, there's so many. But for me, my my biggest one, and it's probably what my work is about, is like human connection, like like the oneness without being like, we are one, you know, the no woo-woo, but the real I am you, Lee. You are me. We are not different besides our visual looks and our experiences, but literally at the core, um, I think that if we don't understand that we are one and we don't understand that we are one consciousness and, and our consciousness affects the planet, which affects the stars, which affects nature, which affects economics like everything and we have that separation I think our separation is the is the worst part because when you bring people together and people are willing to see differences but come together anyway we can then fix all of the issues and problems going on but when we feel separate to another human and it's us against them you can't resolve big issues around the globe that we have like global warming and and, and child sex trafficking and oh, there's a million things that we should work on but i i feel like us coming together as one we'd be able to collaborate uh and change things what's the answer then how do we how do we do that yeah <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> um i what i believe i believe we raise consciousness which basically the word for those of you out there like what do you mean raise consciousness i mean raise awareness i mean become aware of who you are how you're thinking who you're being what you're doing how you're acting responsibility is my favorite word and it's one of my top values which is your ability to respond if it's your fault if it's on you you can respond if you keep blaming other people your parents your mother the media planet earth whatever you can't do anything about it so when people wake up to the fact that they are in response of their own abilities and that they can actually change themselves they change their lives they change their outlook they change how they work with people they change who they show up as so I really think if everybody, and when I say wake up, I don't mean it in a way of like deep state versus none, nothing like that. When I say wake up, I mean start paying attention to who you're being and how you show up and what's your context. How do you think? How do you speak? How do you, uh, how do you treat people? Like when you become aware of it and if you don't like it, you actively start changing it. That is what I mean about us raising consciousness and we're aware people who can work on problems as one. Absolutely. 
So therefore, if you could tell everybody in the world something and know that everyone would hear it right now, what would it be? I think it would be that. I think it would be that you are responsible for your life. You are responsible for the way you think and the way you feel and the results that you have, the relationships you've built, the money in your bank account, your body, your life, your car, your lack of, your this, your that. And even if you're poor, even if you live in India on the corner, you have shit, you are still responsible for the reality that you're breathing. How can you make it a good day? Can you walk down to the other corner and sit with the other kid that's homeless? Can you walk down to this place? And like, we still have choice and I think that when we know that we can make the best out of whatever situation that we got given and see it for I love fucking Byron Katie bless you Byron Katie loving what is can you love what is can you get to that place where you go what if this was supposed to happen what if I was supposed to be here how could I transform this or what good can I do with this situation no matter what it is so accepting what is in that moment yeah and and working with it you know so if it is I was just raped. Okay, that's the reality. What do we do from this now? Okay, how can I work this? I need to look after myself. I need to have a shower. I need to tell someone. Uh, I need to heal this in the future. Okay, it's five years from now. Hey, that's still bothering me. I need to work on it so I can have a beautiful relationship with someone I want to be with. Like, it's, it's, it's like Will Smith did a video about it and I shared it. It's like, it's not your fault what happened to you, but it's your responsibility to work on yourself so that you can function as a human on the planet and do good for you and others. Yeah, and reach your own capacity. Potential. Yeah, 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 definitely. Tell me about someone who you think is doing a lot of good in the world right now. Tim Ballard. I feel like he's doing a lot of good in the world right now. Mm -hmm. Tell me about Tim. I just recently found out about him uh, through Brianna. And he, man, he is tackling an issue that a lot of people don't want to talk about because it's it's hard to hear. Um, child sex trafficking and, and just, it's, you know, 30 to 40 million adults or or humans, not adults, humans are trafficked, you know, labor or sex trafficking around the world. So slavery is alive and well. And 6 million are children. And so he is going undercover and he is getting men together and he's getting groups together to go pretend to be these offenders and buy children so that they can see where they are and then do these underground operations. I don't know why it hits home. If I go deep into my subconscious, I believe it's because of my sexual abuse and I'm a mother and I look at my kids at night and think, I don't know what I would do if someone took my child. But the fact that he has, you know, his own children, his wife, his own family, and he goes out and does this work like selfless. I, I just think he is one of the most incredible humans. And now that I'm aware of it, I'm I'm I told my husband I literally that's the foundation I want our business to give money to. I wanna I wanna align with whatever they're doing. How can we be how can we help? And Tony Robbins as well. And I know that he gets different, you know, reactions from people. And what I what I like about Tony Robbins is that his energy and his ability to show up at an event and and say the things I feel like we have a lot of similarities in the strength of how he speaks but with the love like the loving bitch slap kind of situation Mm -hmm. and the fact that he literally has so much money he doesn't have to ever work again yet he will show up and speak for 52 hours at an event raise money from the audience and give it to Tim or whoever else for a foundation beyond him and that he has the energy to do it like he doesn't have to like he could actually go I did my duties and he could get in a medal and go sit down but he's like oh no I'm gonna keep doing this and say the same thing to different people but the same thing to the same you know what I mean yeah yeah. and that yeah I just love him yeah amazing Mm. where's your favorite place on earth I love Australia (laughs) 
I love Australia. Um, I haven't traveled much, if you, to be honest, as an American. You know, we don't go anywhere. Um, but we, we go to Ubud for our retreat. And I just feel like Ubud, Bali has the people the children, the air, like there's like magic in that place. And I really love it. But if I'm honest, I really love where I live. I love this country. I love living here. And I love Miami because it's hot and awesome. Hot and steamy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Erica, what book are you reading or podcast are you listening Are you listening to? Or both? Okay, so I love podcasts. I love the Goop podcast. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but I really love it because there's different people that get on there. I'm also a massive fan, like a massive fan of, you know, obviously Byron Katie. Um, so I, I, I'm always reading her book, even though I've read it many times. But there's a book that I'm reading right now. What is it called? Big, uh, Big Magic. Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert, is mm-hmm. that what it's called? I hadn't read that book before and everyone's telling me to read it. So I'm currently going through that book and I like her. I think she's sassy. Yeah. She's got a really cool, like, I didn't know about her. So I'm, I'm reading her book right now. And I would say the Goop podcast has just really helped me see things in a different kind of way from different speakers that I probably wouldn't go and seek out myself, which has been cool. Yeah, awesome. I uh, I started watching the um, the series on Netflix. Oh, yeah. This is really interesting. <laughs> yes, I love all that, what they're doing. I think it's cool. It's cool to see it. Yeah. Well, that's it from me, Erica. I want to thank you for taking the time to spend an afternoon talking to me. Uh, it's been really interesting and, you know, this kind of topic is a little bit off what we usually talk about in this podcast, but I think it's really important, particularly at this time with COVID going on and, you know, with, with a lot of people at home and reflecting on their lives and reflecting on their future of kind of what, what will my life be and how can I change that when forces around me are you know, dictating where I can be, what I can do. So I think it's really valuable and a really important conversation to have. So thank you. Oh, thank you for doing this. And thank you for like creating this because it is really important. These are topics that I think, you know, if we don't find out about these things, we can make decisions and say things that could be damaging or, or hurtful to other people or other groups. And so the ignorant kind of part of us, we, we're not, you know, you kind of can't be ignorant anymore. You need to start paying attention to what's going on and who's being affected and, and research things that you don't know. And so I give it up to you and I acknowledge you for doing this because it's it's extremely important and useful and helpful. And for everybody out there that is home and going through this at the moment, I hope that the takeaway that you can take from this is that you you are responsible for your life and that doesn't matter what's going on around you. You don't have to allow it to affect you in a negative way and you can channel your anger or channel your, you know, whatever it is that's happening. If you're home and you're stuck and you're pissed off about it or vaccines or whatever it is, like channel it for some good and see if you can create conversations in your community. See if you can create a podcast. See if you can do something with that energy and that time to be responsible and and be of service to your life and those around you. Absolutely. And just before we go, do you want to share your social media handles? Oh, yes. Yes. So um, you can find me on Instagram at the Queen of Confidence. Make sure you type the Queen of Confidence. I don't know what else you'll get if you type the rest of it without it. And then on, on Facebook, I'm at the Queen of Confidence and the Confidence Chronicles podcast is the podcast. And thank you to your friend for all the love. Thank you so much for those of you. And thank you for having me on this amazing show. You're incredible. Thanks, Erica. Thanks for listening to the Good Problem Podcast. 
If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and share. Head to www.leematthews.com to find out more.